Welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I'm here as always with Father Chuck. What up? Hello. And, and we're not wearing any pants. We don't have to. You, you can't make us. Um, I'm at work in my <laughs> office. I absolutely have pants on. <laughs> They're shorts, but I have them on. But you're not wearing pants, though. Okay, fair. <laughs> See, fair. I, I'm wearing shorts, too. That's what I meant, Chuck. What do you think I meant? <laughs> I thought you mean like we're just hanging out in our skivs, you know? <laughs> you know, I like just guys being dudes is what we do. You know, um, it, by the way, it, that's something I've never understood. I've never understood men who are just comfortable like hanging out in their underwear in their home. That's weird. Uh, they're weirdos. They're just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it either. I, I, it, 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 it's treated like a normal thing for men. Did that ever happen? Did you ever go to like a friend's house and like you found out their dad was one of those guys and it was just like just kind of weird? No, thank God, no. <laughs> okay, because it happened to me a couple of times. I don't understand <laughs> people to just chilling without an article of clothing on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Weirdos is what they are. Um, they are. They are strange. I'm reading. Um, I'm, I'm reading a book by David Sedaris and he talks about his dad a lot and his dad is one of those who like as soon as he comes in the door pants are off <laughs> i don't get it put 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 something on man um but we're not here to talk about pants oh, God, um, no. as much as i wish <laughs> we're here to talk about a movie where nobody wears pants yeah definitely uh so we're in week two of this nameless uh three-part series where we Jesus, talk Jesus about save it. Jesus save our cinema, save us from our <laughs> Jesus cinemas. Saves cinema. I don't know. Or Jesus forgive our cinema. I I, did, I I feel like there's something there. Maybe, yeah. With the sin and the cinema, that's it's got to be something. I don't know. We didn't really workshop anything before we did. We just did it because uh, we we're professionals. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed. Our passion of the Christ. Can I just say something, Chuck? <laughs> I don't know if this is good podcasting, but so I have not. This is this is a, this is rare. Okay, what's happening right now is a very rare occurrence in our in our podcasting workflow. We are recording an episode right now, and I have not yet uploaded the previous episode. And I, I feel like I'm just treading water, Scandal. you know. Scandal. And I, but I have a good excuse. Yesterday, I worked really hard all day like wall-to-wall just laborious work because it's harvest season right now mm-hmm. and then as soon as i got home fired up the mac and watched the jesus film watched that for two two hours and eight minutes longest two hours of my life by the way finished that went to, to edit and 30 minutes left in editing time i fell asleep <laughs> at my desk with my headphones on like like neo from the matrix yes i oh neo was was quietly nestled on his desk i was one of these nice 
So, so that's why you didn't get my I, – I was messaging you, and you were, like, pretty active and communicating with me, and then just stopped. And so I figured – That's exactly like, – he, he went to sleep. <laughs> JP fell asleep. <laughs> it's a very big difference. So when I was when I was in Jerusalem, I roomed with this guy from my seminary who uh, every night is – he's a super night owl, goes to bed probably, like, 3, 4 in the morning every day. And uh, he would be at his computer, like, uploading and editing photos from the day. But he would always fall asleep at his desk and <laughs> snored like there was a Harley Davidson in the room. Oh, gosh. So I would just be laying there and he'd be like at his desk. And then suddenly you would just hear like somebody revving <laughs> up a chainsaw. Just <laughs> It really is the worst feeling in the world because like I had 30 minutes left of editing. I was so close to finishing and I fell asleep. And when I saw when I was like, what, what? I was like, oh, no, it went on without me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little behind the scenes. uh uh, blooper fun stuff inside there. baseball yeah well hey so so um you, you talked about the movie that we're going to talk about today yes. already um and you referred to it as um the, the longest the jesus the jesus film the longest two and a half two hours and eight minutes of your life and i, I you know I, I i realized something jp this movie is a miracle is it it is a miracle. Okay. Yeah, um, miracle. Akin to Jesus's miracle, the multiplication with the fish and the loaves, where he takes, you know, two little fish and five loaves and is managed to expand them to feed like thousands of people. Yeah. Somehow this movie manages to take two hours and eight minutes and for me, stretch it out over three days. <laughs> didn't you just stop watching it? Like, does it, didn't you just uh, yes. finish it? Wow. I just I, I I I finished it, read some trivia on IMDb, and then logged on here. Fun trivia: Jesus, yeah, Brian Deacon, yeah, mm -hmm. was in a lesbian vampire film. No way, really? Which one? Called Vampires, from 1974, British lesbian vampire film. He plays the character of John, uh, uh, and uh, this was apparently what he did right before he made this movie. I, I think I know what movie you're talking about because I think I, I listened to a podcast that talked about that movie a few weeks ago. Interesting. Yeah, I think it. I think it was covered in one of those like so bad it's good type articles on birth movies death a couple years back. Yeah, uh, vampires. You said 1974. Yeah, Let's it's see. with P Y R E S at the end. Oh yes, yes, they did talk about this movie, and uh, hey, it's on Tubi. <laughs> Uh, two bisexual vampires charm unwary victims into joining them at their castle for a midnight snack and more. Ooh, and more. Wait a second. Um. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I heard about this movie. This is actually on my watch list. <laughs> I'm better I, I just, I, I'm just sort of. Is this? This might be the first movie. Oh no, I take it back. I say the first movie where Jesus has also been in some pretty exploitative type movies. But then Willem Dafoe. Uh, was in Antichrist, so uh, uh, yeah, and like most of Willem Dafoe's career is like yeah, yeah, uh -huh. grindhouse cinema type stuff, totally. But 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 done with an A-list pastiche. I don't yeah. know. But Willem Dafoe, he's such a great actor. I can't wait to talk about passion of uh, passion of temptation of uh, the last last, temptation, last temptation. Yes, I'm getting all their names mixed up. Uh, the it's last right. temptation project. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the last tango in Paris. No, uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, so we watched, I mean, I guess it's just called Jesus, but it was made by the Jesus Film Project. No. No? No. The Jesus Film Project 
is the later organization that uses this movie as an evangelism tool. Oh, I see. Wait, so... This was actually kickstarted by something called the Genesis Project, where they had this very lofty goal of trying to film the entire Bible. That's actually kind of an interesting, interesting uh, uh, experiment. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. I can't see. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and announce that the time has come when the Lord will save his people. Jesus! Your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be well. All right. Follow me. Who do you say I am? You are God's Messiah. I understand that many have already hailed him as king. Is it with a kiss that you betray the Son of Man? Arrest him. Are you the king of the Jews? This man? A king? <laughs> Yeah, they, they did um, Gospel of Luke, and that's pretty much it. Huh. Well, that's interesting because we get to talk about the uh, sort of the artistic ramifications of, of, of attempting a feat such as that. That's the one thing I was kind of looking forward to, to talking about the most watching this because watching it, you know, it doesn't really feel like cinema to me. It feels like ministry. Like, this is very much a tool. This is very much... Um, uh, you know, something you, you, you put in the v, the VCR on a Sunday morning, right? Yeah. Well, let's 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 take a moment to talk about the fact that this part of why we picked this movie is because it is the most translated film in history. It right. is some by uh, some estimates, the most viewed film in human history. Um, and, uh, you know, so it and it's and it it, 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 it is likely the Jesus movie most people have seen at yeah, this point. It is. And you know what's interesting is while I was watching it, I didn't do much research. Unfortunately, I should have done it. But yeah, I did. That's good. I did. <laughs> it was it was fun to do that while watching the movie. When I was watching it, I was actually I got I got a hand it to him. The H D remastering. Mwah. Good job. Because I didn't know it was a nineteen seventy nine film. I thought this was like a two thousand four, two thousand five joint. 
Uh, I got to say, they threw me off a little bit with the uh, CGI remastering at the beginning, probably. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was made nineteen seventy. Oh, yeah, where it opens, where it opens just like Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was made in nineteen seventy nine, or at least it was released in nineteen seventy nine. Uh, and I know I was like, this looks like it was filmed in the Holy Land experience. No, it was it was it was filmed in, in Israel and Jerusalem. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's there are definitely some sets. Yeah. The synagogue is clearly a set. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, so I thought, I, I got to hand it to them. They at least, uh, they, the HD remasters are, are, are good. Criterion, uh, maybe not Criterion level good, but, uh, I'd say Scream Factory good. They did a good job of making you not aware that, uh, Brian Deacon had a fake nose. <laughs> Wait, really? I didn't know that. That's yep. interesting. Wait. To make him look more Mediterranean. Are you serious? I am serious. Oh my god! If you look, if you look, it's sometimes like especially on the cross, you can kind of see where the makeup line is, and uh, apparently, so this movie has more versions of it than Blade Runner. Really? And yeah, and so they filmed. There is something called apparently like the New Media Bible version of Gospel of Luke, which is this movie, but like a four-hour version of it or something. Apparently, in some versions of this New Media Bible take on it, um, his nose is crooked. Huh. <laughs> Gosh, I wonder how how much they must have gotten some serious funding for this movie. Like it, it had to have been astronomical. Six million dollars. That's that's. I mean, that's that's the nineteen seventy nine money. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars was about ten million. I, I, hold on, just, just as a comparison, another nineteen seventy nine film was Alien, which uh, was filmed on a budget of eleven million dollars. Yeah, so. but they, I'm pretty sure they went over budget. Don't you think? Sure. Ridley Scott directing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, those those big effects movies usually do. So what's really funny is once I realized, I'd say like the prologue. I remember messaging you. It was like this is like something you'd watch like at Epcot Center. Like it has this kind of queuing me up for a ride vibe to it because it's 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 kind of going through the story. But it's very dry, and the artistic license is very, um, well, not too creative, but like... Hey, they got claymation. Yeah, claymation. I appreciated that. That was cool. Um, but um, once I... roll of snakes. Once I realized that, like, oh, this is just kind of like presenting the story as is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to just run an errand real quick. <laughs> I didn't run an errand, but I but I was like kind of just doing chores. This movie had all the artistic license, or sorry, artistic merit of an errand. Yeah, yeah. This is like <laughs> so. This is definitely something like if you go to a Christian school and there's nothing to do, this is the movie they show you instead of like you know the Mummy or something. Uh, my school never subjected us to this. They oh. <laughs> well, my neighbor. We, we, we watched McGee and Me. <laughs> Um, but I'm just saying, like, it, it, you could just have this movie on in the background, and you could get about as much of it as someone who was like paying very close attention to it. Right, because it's it. basically, it's basically like an, it's, it's no different than like the audio bible. Yeah, pretty much. Right, because it's, I mean, it, it's just lifted every line, almost every line, is lifted directly from the good news translation of the bible. Yeah, and it's not, and it's, and it's, it's not as if the performances are worth noting at all you know they're just bodies that speak that wear cheap looking costumes and boy those costumes 
the Roman costumes uh, particular in particular were like something you got out of a Halloween store. Granted, this is 1979, but still, Life of Brian came out around the same time. <laughs> if you if they're using some of the same filming locations, if yeah. you if you if you read the Wikipedia about this movie, there's all this talk about how much John Hyman, the, the, the director um, and like motivator, the guy behind this movie, even though, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that later. But anyway, he he like spent all this time like, aiming for historical accuracy. Yeah. Um, Which is such a. I mean, it really, and, and I, I guess I, I don't really know much about the history. I guess uh, about as much as the average person when it comes to the Bible. But like, really, you really sacrifice drama. There's no drama here, you know. Like, there's no, no. Uh, there's nothing really to latch onto. And, and I think like if you're going to look at this from a critical eye, you, the only really kind of conversation you could have is like, like, well. Should adaptations be one hundred percent faithful? <laughs> and and what does that mean? Does that mean just like word for word oh, everything you saw here? We're now going to put it up on a screen. And um, I don't see. I don't. I don't. I feel like you're just you're you're not taking advantage of what cinema allows when you do that. Yeah, and well, and I, I, this is where I think it's it's an interesting conversation because on um, again. Wikipedia, John Hyman, the guy behind this movie, made the statement that their goal, their goal was to not to make a movie, hmm. like in the traditional sense. They said their their goal was to make a Bible translation for the screen. Right. But as I mentioned to you yesterday in one of my like keep me sane messages, is um, is that cinema has a language. Yes. And so if you're going to do the work of translation, then you need to translate it to that language. Right. And there's just so many parts in the movie where I'm watching it and I'm like, I mean, I, I, here's the benefit I think for the movie is I think it made me a better film viewer <laughs> Okay. through what we call apophatic means, right? You look at it from like what not to do. Yeah. Um, and um, it, but yeah, it just, I mean, just like you said, there's no drama because everything Everything happens because the page, the letters on the page says it has to happen. Yeah. And it doesn't bother to give us the why of anything. It's just, here it is, it's on the screen. Yeah, and even that, like I was, and I was saying to you while I was watching it, even, I don't even see how that could be really helpful. Because if I'm watching this for the very first time, I'm some dude in Peru. I raise llamas. Uh, not familiar with the Bible. And you bring this to my village because this is what they did, by the way. Peru is apparently a big uh, location for this uh, for this project. Mm -hmm. And they show they show you the movie. I would just be like, "Who is this guy? I have no idea what he's saying." Like, if, if presenting Jesus is just like a guy walking around talking cryptically, I would just have like a million questions. Right. Well, and I think the idea, right, is for, I mean, I think their evangelism project is to spark those kinds of questions. Yeah. But I think you can do that without the movie. Right. Yeah. Like, it's kind of an unnecessary piece, other than, I guess, you're going to tell people, like, oh, we're going to watch a movie. And then you're like, oh, cool. What's that? I have your attention now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, what, you, you lose it in two hours, but yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, dude, maybe the Peruvian version is like way better. <laughs> the Peruvian voice actors are so much better. <laughs> uh, maybe, I mean, maybe they're way more dynamic. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, ostensibly, right. This is also a movie that's shown to people that have never seen a movie before. Yeah. Which that's true. It, it's pretty clear that that's sort of the mindset because I love that they have this disclaimer at the beginning, like this is not Jesus, but an actor portraying Jesus. Oh, I missed that. Really? Yeah. There's a bit. Did you watch it off the website? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's this bit where it's like, this is not Jesus, but an actor portraying Jesus. And though no person is ever worthy to really do this, this person's sort of going to try or whatever. I can't, I, I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea. Is that, <laughs> I don't know if I should be offended by that or not, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, that's during one of the three openings that movie has. That really operate under the assumption like, oh, if we show some indigenous people this movie, they're going to think this guy is Jesus. That's, huh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know if that's a problematic mindset or not. Uh, let us know in, on Twitter, please. <laughs> I think it just insults people's intelligence. Yeah. Um, yeah, just let us know on our Instagram if that's problematic <laughs> or not. Um. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, but, um, oh, I, I don't know where to begin. Yeah, I want to know your thoughts because, I mean, the, 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 actually, the one question that I have like burning uh, as I'm watching is like, if I could ask Chuck any question right now, it would just be this How do you feel about this movie being used? to reach people i you know i this is this is a difficult question for me to ask because i'm watching the movie as somebody who thinks to you knows a thing or two about cinema yeah and so it's really so there's that so i'm watching it i'm trying to watch it but i'm watching it with that that kind of critical eye in terms of the filmmaking quality conversation right i'm also you know a you know a biblical scholar of sorts being a priest right right? so theologian you know enough theology and biblical scholarship in my background that um that like i'm watching it for that perspective too right so it's really it was really hard for me to just sort of sit down and watch it as like trying to imagine myself as like you know the peruvian llama farmer yeah that has never seen anything like this before um i will tell you I skipped through parts of the movie because I just <laughs> couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> right. Um, but in terms of an evangelism tool, uh, I mean, it's, you know, I don't want, I, I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging something that I'm sure that there have been thousands of people that have somehow, you know, they've come to faith in Jesus Christ because of this movie. Right. Or is because of things led up from this movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't, I don't, you know, but I also don't know that that makes something critic proof, right? Because mm-hmm. um, that's a typical thing in the church, right? You can't criticize it. Some people come to faith of it. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, God's probably used like a, a a random sentence that formed in alphabet soup to lead someone to faith too. It, it just because it. I always saw as like you can't just say one thing did it. Like it's a, it's it's it's, a, it's usually a process that people go through, and like one thing right. kind of sets it off in a way. So right. It's yeah. like it's, it's not it's, it's not necessarily instant karma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that being said, we have better tools. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe in 1979, this was great, but I, but, but I get, okay. This is the other thing I've been thinking about it too, is, and, and, and trying to address this is that, okay, so you make this movie 
why do you make this movie? Well, you there are other Jesus movies that existed, right? The greatest story ever told had already been made. It's 1979. Was The Last Temptation out yet? Or is that an 80s movie? 80, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and besides that, had enough controversy in it that it would never be used, no, right? They would no, 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 by no. evangelical type groups. But like, there had been other Jesus movies made by this point, right? You got Spartacus, right? Talks about Jesus, very faith affirming movie. Um, so, I mean, even had Ben Hur, which, which, uh, that's what I meant, Ben Hur, right? Yeah. I guess Spart- the Spartacus, Spartacus doesn't do Jesus, no, right? No, 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 no. No, Ben Hur, as I was thinking, I'm sorry. There was also so got- Jesus of Nazareth, which was like a TV movie that had, that was just like yes. hacked with celebrities at the time. Yes, and I've seen that movie. That's not a bad movie. I, I mean, it's been a long time, but I remember that being a big deal. I mean, that yeah. was a movie that I was always exposed to as a Jesus movie rather than this one. Yeah, that so, was 1977. So okay, so okay, so just two years before, you've already got a Jesus movie that's on TV that a lot of people have seen. So not to mention, it's you know we're, we, we've got Jesus Christ Superstar has our superstar has been on Broadway. Um, you've got. Um, um, Oh my gosh. Why can't I remember the name of the other famous Jesus play? Jesus musical. Jesus. The one that was on the one done with clowns. What? I don't think I've heard of this. Uh, the one that day by day comes from. Um, I'm completely blanking on. There's two major Jesus musicals. There's Jesus Christ Superstar and then there's the other one. I've, I've never problem. heard of it. My English teacher got fired doing this at my school. Really? Uh, <laughs> it'll come to me. Some someone someone listening to this episode right now is screaming at our podcast the name of it. Um, Here, let's but, let's figure it out. Oh man, Jesus musical Jesus. clown. When you say it, I'm gonna smack myself. Uh, Godspell. Hey. <laughs> yes harder uh, okay That's i okay. i have i actually i just learned about this play and it's accompanying film interesting yeah they did it at pba a couple years ago i saw it um decent production done in their black box studio anyway so you've got so you've got so jesus is kind of everywhere in the mid 70s right the whole jesus freak movement is starting really big so you've got this stuff out there um 1977 you have the greatest story ever told so during 1978 ish 77 to 78 when we when this movie was in production so the point i'm trying to make is is that you make this movie because something is not you're trying to make a statement that the others have not made Mm -hmm. so what's that statement what are you trying to say with this movie that the others aren't saying why are you making this instead of showing the other as an evangelism tool and and so that I think becomes part of the that that to me is where the frustration comes in because okay you're making this because you think that this is more evangelistic than some other depiction. The other depictions are better movies. This is a bad movie. Yeah. Um. What are you trying? I just again, what are you trying to accomplish? Because they, they 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 tried to say that they were they were presenting this you know, with the words of the scriptures just as is without any commentary, but that's not true. There's tons of commentary in the movie because the narrator is offering little moments of explaining everything to you throughout the movie that are not in the Bible. Yeah, he provides a little bit of context, a little bit of, more of like just kind of explaining who the people are who are talking and stuff like like, like that, right? Like, No, they, I mean, they go through, they make points of saying stuff like, um, like he explains why Jesus chases out the money changers. He says, because the temple had become a... Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that. It's just, the Bible just tells us that Jesus chases out the money, t- money changers. 
Yeah. Um, we don't know why. So the person feels the, the narrator tells us that it goes through multiple times to explain the um, the substitutionary atonement theory of, of of salvation, which is a hotly contested um, notion within Christian circles, um, which I could go on about that. Um, you know, so I think I think it's sort of it's just sort of a fascinating thing of what are you actually what are they trying to do with this? Well, I and mean, so yeah. And so, you know, that the others are not, right? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, how does it end? With the sinner's prayer. <laughs> right. But, but why couldn't you show, like, the greatest story ever told and then have, like, somebody, have somebody then say to you, like, here's how you become a Christian I afterward? Mean, I, I just don't. I wouldn't put it past the filmmakers being like, hey, look, don't show those movies. That's that's all liberal Hollywood. I am a true Christian. Let me make your your six million dollar Jesus film, and I'll make sure that none of that Hollywood nonsense gets injected into it. Right? Like, because that, well, I mean, to distance yeah, I mean, oneself I, from Hollywood, they can make their own things. Like that's the whole thing to be so insular, you know? Right. Well, so this, this, that, that, this begs an interesting question: Was this one of the first products of the Christian subculture? I definitely think it, it's. I mean, it, it's sort of riding that wave when the seven. You know, it's made 1979. This is sort of when the religious right was starting to come into prominence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were. I mean, that was creating its own subculture to make things more insular. Like, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was like because, like, okay, so like another you know, movie that we kind of love, which is A Thief in the Night. Right. Yeah. You know, but it's not trying to create, like an alternative to like Hollywood's vision, right? They're, they were actually just trying to make a movie using these concepts from the Bible to create this kind of quasi horror film rooted in this scriptural story, which with, with an evangelism angle to it, but it was, it's a very different, it's a better movie. I think yeah. the night is a better movie. That's crazy. It, it is. Said, but it is a better movie. That movie is more cinema than this movie is. <laughs> more yeah. cinematic. Yeah. Cause this is the thing is, is this is not cinema because like you have a couple of moments that break through where there's some cl- clearly some interesting directorial flourishes, like yeah. having Jesus sharing the parable of the, the sower by having him walk around the room, throwing the seed in the different corners and using that. That's kind of an interesting take, right? Yeah. And that'll stick with people too. Yeah. Um, I really liked, I think my favorite thing in the whole movie was when, um, when Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan or the, the good neighbor, because the good Samaritan is a problematic theme for the parable and, because it's kind of racist, but anyway, um, is um, is when he, Jesus you know punctuates the parable by saying like which man was the neighbor, and it has the little child, little girl next to him go the Samaritan, which that's not in the Bible. So that was a choice that was made directorially to have the child answer the question, which I thought was a really brilliant move. And then that segues into Jesus talking about like you know the wisdom of children and all of that. Like so, there's some cool little things that are made there directorially that I think bring like that right there's these little moments where it brings out the story in a way that offers a fresh little take but those are so few and fleeting throughout this entire film right it's so dry and it shows that you know the the biblical text is not meant to be filmed like verbatim correct right you know it's and that's the other piece is that you know the the Gospels are not literature in the classic sense of literature. 
um, their purpose is very particular. It's actually meant to provide stories to believers who, so you're already a believer. That's sort of the idea behind the Gospels, is that they're there for you already as a believer to know the story because they were written by, like, the second or third generation of Christians after the time of Jesus, because the first generation of leaders are starting to die off. They're dying of old age. And so now there's this concern that the people who like the actual, like people who knew the stories firsthand were losing them. And so they started capturing these stories and recording them for the sake of that next, of that third generation of Christians to be able to know the stories of Jesus after the apostles are gone. Right. And just in the way that it's arranged as well, the way it was, um, I mean, literature is not quoted, right? Like, it's it's there is no. I mean, there's no like Lord of the Rings or the, those aren't like verses, right? There's it's 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 a narration. It's a narrative. It's not right. Yeah. If you, you right, know what I mean? Am I making any sense? <laughs> so no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, it kind of gets back to the thing we mentioned a little bit last week around uh, when I talked about Alan Moore and his comment on Watchmen and how, yeah. you know, Watchmen is kind of never meant to be made into a movie because it's meant to explore the limits of its literary genre. And that's, I mean, that's what the Gospels are, right? The Gospels are tied to the sense that these are texts that are meant to be read by a group of believers to give them information about this guy they've heard about, Jesus. Um, it's not meant to be, and it's meant to be sort of consumed in sort of like chunks, not all the way through, right? It's like, you know, it's like, because most scholars agree that these all began as like collections of sayings and like vignettes of the life of Jesus. And then they sort of, you know, Mark is probably the one who um, sort of massaged them into some kind of a narrative by creating some kind of connective tissue between the sayings and the vignettes. Huh. Um, but the information, and then Matthew built on it, Luke also knew about it and built on it. Um, there's, but like, you know, for instance, like the Sermon on the Mount, or the sermon, which is in Matthew, Sermon on the Plain is in Luke, which this movie is a filming of the Gospel of Luke. Um, like the Sermon on the Mount, most scholars would say, was not Jesus standing there presenting all this stuff all at once. It was meant to be kind of like a collection of the types of things he was preaching on in the region. Right. So the, it's presented as an elongated sermon in the gospel for the sake of, you know, ease and reading, right. As for, for the purpose of the gospels, but like in the actual historical moment, it would probably be best filmed as like a montage. Right. Right. Not as just like Jesus in front of a crowd and just, you know, saying all this stuff at once, because it just doesn't it doesn't follow the mindset and rhythms of like what a person would be talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't think. It's an interesting way of looking at it. And I think it, it would that would kind of like, I don't know, challenge someone's views of the scriptures in a way. Um, at least what they're meant for you know it this it's not interesting i don't know i'm just i'm just i have like a million thoughts running through my head and like how <laughs> like how you know especially like evangelical or any christian really like approaches art um well but, and i think and i think too right this is another good example getting back to this idea of the alternate right so hollywood made these other jesus productions this is our opportunity to make ours we're the christians we should get it right right yeah but then comes the question of who's your audience who are you making it for 
right? And it winds up, this is a typical thing of all of this Christian media, um, is that it winds up being made, it, it's, it's made under the umbrella of evangelism, but it's actually really made for other Christians. Because it's all made with this idea that other Christians are going to watch it and they're going to critique and judge you. Oh, you didn't include that. Oh, you didn't do that. Right. Which is exactly what we're doing right now. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's, you know, it, but it's it's that it's not really made with the mindset of how is a non-believer or someone who knows nothing about Jesus, how are they going to receive this stuff? They're going to be bored to tears, to be honest, unless they have unless, like you said, like they've never seen a movie before. Right. You know, if, if you've grown up on like, I mean, if you've grown up on Hollywood films, you know, it's just going to be super dry. It is going to be like going to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, because it's just the way it flows. It's just so awkward, right? And, and like everything is, and everything is treated as though it's like this momentous moment. Like, oh, here's the moment when Jesus gives this parable, <laughs> right? Like in the moment history, Jesus is just giving lessons out to people. It wasn't like, I'm going to have my dramatic pause before I talk about, you know, uh, the, the fig tree giving forth its fruit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It is kind of funny. I, I, you know, I was just thinking back to our passion of the Christ episode and I was saying like, Oh, like I, I, I know all this before I've seen all this. So it's like, it's nothing new. And like, I, I, I don't know. It's kind of funny how, I felt that way watching that, but like now that I watch this, I feel like I should apologize to Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> right, because he understands the language of cinema. Yeah, if 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 the, if if Passion of the Christ is like too much cinema, this is like the complete opposite direction. No cinema. <laughs> we'll get in the middle someday. I feel because yeah, I, I feel like I, I'm willing to bet Less Temptation of Christ is is also probably going to be in the direction of Mel Gibson we'll see I don't know if it's gonna be in the middle but Judas you know. Project is probably like in the middle <laughs> it probably is um, uh, yeah I, comparably uh, yeah or, or the Jeremy Sisto Jesus yeah <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah again this is you were like, saying that they left out um, Jesus uh, speaking apocalyptically yes from I noticed I noticed this uh, when I was today while I was watching it because when he's in the temple and he's having all these discussions, there's this part in the temple where he where he tells like he says that you know you'll beg that the mountains will fall on you and all this. So very one of the Luke and apocalypses, and it's not there. And I know that the movie apparently they filmed they filmed it to be a four hour epic, but then the guy decided that he should trim it down to two hours because it would be a little bit easier for people to like, cause he, as he said, he wanted it to be like a Sunday school tool. Um, when then later became an evangelism tool. Um, so I, um, um, so you, you, when you do that, right, you make choices. And so I was sort of interested then thinking about what, well, what are your choices that you're making? Like, why do you choose, like you, you, they choose to include some really awkward things in the movie, like the soldiers, the soldiers, you know, playing some kind of game for Jesus's robe, um, which oh, they get yeah. wrong. By the way, they get that wrong because they're not bargaining for the whipped up, ripped apart robe that Jesus was wearing. They're bargaining over the royal robes that Herod gave him to mock him. Hmm. Um, anyway, but was that, they show that just discarded and trampled underfoot at one point. 
Um, but, you know, so you're making these choices. It's kind of interesting. Why do you choose to not show Jesus? I mean, they do show Jesus make his one apocalyptic statement during the procession to, uh, to Golgotha where he greets the women of Jerusalem and he says, you know, that, you know, if they're going to do this stuff when the, if they're going to be like this when the season is green, imagine what it's going to be like when it's dry and they start lamenting and mourning. So there's a bit of an apocalyptic bit there from the gospel, but some of his other stuff is just not there in the movie. And I kind of feel like that's a big part of who Jesus is, is that he's, he's playing off of the apocalyptic fears of the G of the Jews of the time. You know, they're expecting that, you know, Rome is going to come barreling down on them at any moment that they could be exterminated as a people because that, you know, their, their fears are exactly the fears that happened just before the Babylonian captivity, right? Before, you know, the fears they had during the Assyrian empire, the fears they had with the Greeks during uh, the, uh, during the Maccabean period. So this whole thing about, um, about Jesus and his apocalypticism, like that's necessary to understand his ministry. Otherwise, otherwise he comes across as he does in this movie as just, he's a dude who really likes to pontificate. And so they killed him for it. Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> that too. That's what I was saying. Like this guy, he's kind of just, just like a ro roving philosopher, basically. Right. And he, he does a miracle every now and then. <laughs> right. Which, I mean, in a way, I guess, kind of brings up a little bit more, you know, Luke, you know, maybe this helps bring this to the fore, what Luke is doing a bit with his, you know, Luke's the only non-Jew to write a book of the Bible. And he's writing his gospel for the Gentiles who are much more familiar with roving philosophers. So maybe, maybe this does a good job of helping us see that that's, you know, what Luke, what Luke's trying to do is to show Jesus more in that, cast him a bit, bit, bit more in that mold rather than... Yeah the the you know, like Matthew where he has Jesus is much more the Jewish revolutionary. Mm -hmm. um, I will point out, uh, compared to Passion of the Christ, the Pharisees way more chill. Yeah, that's the other thing. Nobody acts. Yeah, <laughs> they just deliver lines. I, I think I think Pilate acted. Well, he was an acting coach in Israel. The guy who plays in Peter Fire, what his name is. Yeah, that explains it because he's very like. He kind of feels like like if if Mel Brooks made a movie about Jesus, like that guy would probably play Pilate. But I I, I just don't. And that's that's the other part. You know, I'm always going to be a bit critical of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus as yeah. it's depicted, and I don't think anyone has got it right yet. No, not even not even uh, Millie Gibson. I'd have to watch the passion again to, to really kind of pay attention to the nuances there. But the problem that, I mean, Herod, by the way, Herod is fantastic in the passion of the Christ. Yeah. I like that um, one more than this one. Um, but the, uh, wait, did you say Herod was the one acting or pilot pilot? Okay, good. Um, cause yeah, cause I was like, Herod just sort of stands there looking like, looking like Will Ferrell in, <laughs> in an outfit. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, um, the thing that gets me about about all these depictions is that they either try to make Pilate look innocent or like he's just like he's mustache like he's somewhat aware of the gravity of the situation right like this one they watched he you know he he's handed Jesus over to be um to be beaten and he just sort of skulks in the corner and watching it whereas like the actual pilot of history would have just been like living it up really? because here's this guy who is you know being called the king of the jews which was his title Pilate was king of the jews it was the title given to him by caesar <laughs> so 
um, I think it was him, him or Herod. But anyway, he's sitting there and he's watching this would be, you know, to him, this guy is, you know, claim, potentially claiming to take his rule away. And they're beating the crap out of him. He would love it, right? Most scholars agree that the the sign put above the cross, above Jesus' head on the cross, was meant to be a sign of mockery from Herod. To be like, yeah, you know, like here's what we'll do to any Jew, any king of the Jews that you bring to us. Um, so this, you know, the whole the way they depict Herod or the way they depict Pilate in all these movies is like, you know, they either let they try to let him off, like he's trying to get Jesus out of there, or you know, they just don't really get the the man who from what we can gather from history is both incredibly cruel and a complete coward hmm. um you know and i will say though this movie i do love the dramatic dropping of the death sentence off the balcony oh yeah <laughs> that was uh, there's a little bit of cinema there a little bit it's like oh you, you see you guys can do it you can the thing about pilot there's a tradition in um when the passion gospel is chanted on good friday there is a there is a there is a tradition of using an alto for pilot's voice which i find very interesting yeah to kind of like make him effeminate and huh. mock him <laughs> that's sort of the tradition yeah so i mean i guess we can agree that it's like it, it's not it doesn't really feel like a movie and it probably wasn't supposed to but also, like, they probably could have, I mean, I don't know. It's not supposed to be, maybe. But also, if it's if it's not supposed to be, it's still not really doing its job. Unless it right. is. <laughs> Unless you've never seen a movie before. But, I don't know, I guess there's something kind of... I, I, I think, in some circles, you could probably view this as, like as like like art like video art you know something you can put like in an inst like in an installation you know or in a museum or just have something continuously playing at a lock-in <laughs> right so i mean it has like it's it is a kind of artifact i think in that in that sense um it's not so it's not cathartic and that you can sit down and enjoy it it's like Something to kind of like observe a few minutes of <laughs> and then just move on to the next station. <laughs> right. Or I, I don't know. I just I just can't imagine someone just getting like invested in it. And, uh, and it just I don't know. It was it was a long two hours. I know it took you three days to watch it. Yeah, actually, uh, it only took me. It only took me uh, yesterday and today, but it felt like three days. <laughs> I. Uh, yeah. Well, let me. Uh, one thing I just been thinking of in this is. um and I meant to bring this up earlier, but is um, Robert Alter, who is a uh, linguist and translator. Um, he wrote, I didn't really see the title of this because of the light, but anyway, he wrote this, uh, he did a, a, a translation of the Hebrew Bible in English. that's really well celebrated. And, um, but it, in, in the beginning of it, he has uh, his intro to the Hebrew Bible um, and it's entitled, The Bible in English and the Heresy of Explanation. And he writes, the unacknowledged heresy underlying most modern English versions of the Bible is the use of translation as a vehicle for explaining the Bible instead of representing it in another language. And in the most egregious instances, this amounts to explaining away the Bible. That makes me feel like 
this is this could easily be applied to this movie. Interesting. You think it? Like uh, how 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 would it explain explain away the Bible? Because it doesn't allow you, it doesn't allow the language of cinema to speak and allow you to kind of, you know, like when I'm trying to remember, I think it's during the crucifixion. There's something that happens. I can't remember what it is. There's like a moment where there's a look from Jesus. And then the narrator narrator chimes in to tell you like what he's thinking and feeling. Right. Right. It's not just letting you right. Like the, the reason that there's narration in the gospels is because you can't see what's happening. It's helping you to imagine in your head what's happening. Right. So you don't need the narrator in a cinematic experience. You know, a good director allows you to, you know, directs his cast to act in such a way that the meaning is conveyed and we get to see, you know, what's happening. And that's the thing about this movie. I feel like there's never any instance where we're allowed to see anything because nobody acts properly in the movie, right? They just deliver dialogue and move around a, a, a staged area. There's never really, you know... I mean, probably the most acting that happens in the movie is when they get the Israeli heartthrob kid to be a uh, to be a, a, a an epileptic demon possessed kid flopping around on the ground. And so I don't one know of the why best instances of, of 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 unintentional comedy I've seen in a long time. That scene just sticks out to me so much. Like whenever I think about this, that's just that's just the first thing that comes to mind. I feel, and, and you're right, because like uh, that part, I think what's interesting about that scene is that like the way this. Who, I don't know who's acting, if it's the actual actor or the voice actor. Whoever delivers the line, uh, you faithless and perverse generation. I almost feel like he's about to say, can't you tell he's faking it? Because that's the kind of like, I don't know, that's the kind of delivery it felt like. <laughs> right. I, the other thing I kept thinking about watching this movie is there's that bit, there's that famous, uh, there's a famous interview with James Cameron where he finally addressed whether or not Jack get a, get on the door with Rose. Have you seen this? Yeah, I have. Uh-huh. Where where he says the reason that it can't happen is because when you open the script to page three hundred, whatever, 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 <laughs> it says Jack dies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking about that because like that's a great Cameron answer. Um, yes. And you know the idea that you're you're filming the text right, but like but it also show it, but that quote makes me think of this movie because I feel like so much of what happened in this movie happened simply because someone said, well the Bible the Bible here says this is how it goes yeah and or here's he, what was said and done and so you have to do that right. and like Cameron understands that yes the script says Jack has to drown and die or does to succumb to hypothermia and die at this moment but he's gonna let the cinema show you. Right. What that means. Also, Whereas, like, there there wasn't room on the on the piece of wood. It would have sank if both of them were on it. He, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean, and it's it's true. It's and you know it it. I think it um, maybe just kind of goes back to like, I feel like there's just a really common misunderstanding, and it's existed for years. That like I don't think people really understand what like an ad- and what an adaptation is supposed to do, right? And I've always gotten so mad at nerds who like point out, oh well, the comic book did this, but the movie did that. <laughs> bad movie, bad adaptation. Like I heard someone, I saw, I saw a Reddit post, Chuck. <laughs> Somebody had the gall to say that. 
that the 1931 James Whale adaptation of Frankenstein was a bad adaptation. <laughs> uh, it's a good movie, but it's a bad adaptation. Like, no, dummy. That is not how adaptations work. It's actually a fantastic adaptation because it makes it better. Anyway. Yeah, well, and like, um, um, it's it sort of, it. it's like, um, I'm trying to think. I have, there's something like in like Batman versus Superman where we have that same kind of problem where, um, where like we have to have Doomsday because I want to kill Superman. And so we have to have Doomsday kill Superman yeah. because that's how Superman dies or whatever, you know, or, you know, we, or like we wrench in the nuking Superman bit from, from Dark Knight Returns because like I just, I have, but then again, Zack Snyder is also clearly the kind of guy who's just like, I really want to film this stuff. Yeah, so that's why we're doing it. Yeah. So like he gets he gets kind of a pass because he's just such a geek in regards to some of these things like he's doing because he really wants to. Um, but like it, you know, but you have these things in these these kinds of adaptations where it's really obnoxious because things play out the way they're supposed to like the, the, the way they do because like the comic says it's supposed to do it this way. Right. And it's like, idiots, you have the comic book. Like, <laughs> yeah. go read the comic book. Exactly. Like if it needs to be. I, and that's. Yeah. And that's uh, and I think even writers do like Stephen King hates The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's mm-hmm. The Shining. Um, but for but like it's, it's such a great film though, you know. Yeah. And and I don't know, man. Like I I I, I well, think I'm... people just have it's just a common misunderstanding of anyone who tries to, who starts to take, you know, any kind of media seriously, and so like yeah, why why shouldn't it be? Like, you know, I mean, I mean, the reason why people love Lord of the Rings movies so much is because of how true to the to the books they are, even though, like, they're not really a ton of liberties. It's a ton of liberties. I know. I know. It's so funny. People are weird. I don't get it. It's the same thing with Marvel. Like, Marvel is totally true to the comics. Not really, man. Well, but the thing was, this is what people this is where people, I think, are trying to say. And that is they say that it's true to the spirit. Yeah. Which is what an adaptation is. Right. Yeah, because like we get, you know, Lord of the Rings, right? We get Arwen. Arwen is the one who she she plays like a big role throughout the movie, especially in Fellowship. She's she she shows up in the appendix yeah. of the book, right? So it, it makes sense, right? That it makes sense to it makes sense to put her in the in the film, right? To give her, you know, if you're gonna you're trying to build toward the the fact that they're gonna get married later, right? You want to know who she is rather than just like I mean, it would be because if you read the book, when she shows up, it's like. Oh, there she is. Like she legitimately shows up for the first time in the book as she's approaching Aragorn to get married. Right. There's like nothing about her until until you read the appendixes the, the appendices after. Right? right. So so you know, Peter Jackson made a choice, right, to include her because it makes sense for a cinematic audience to watch. It would be jarring. It would take you out of the movie to just introduce a bride yeah. at the last 5 minute mark of a movie. Um Right. Another another good thing in Lord of the Rings is to me that, that, that shows good adaptation work is um, when they have that whole bit where Elrond explains to Arwen what's going to happen if she stays with the mortals and how if she marries Aragorn, you know, one day he's going to die and she's going to continue living and she's going to grow weary of the world and all that. That's a whole bit that happens actually in the appendices, but he films it as like a vision of the future, hmm. um, which I think is super effective for what he's trying to do and telling that story. Um, you know, listeners, if you want a good instance of a great conversation about adaptation 
and how some about two people who really dig each other's work and how someone adapted their work you should check out the uh the commentary on fight club with chuck polinick and david fincher yeah because that, that's a, that i love i love knowing that Polinick is like, oh, I really like the choices you made here with my story and how you did this, and it makes this more effective for that. I just, it's a, it's good illustration of what a good adaptation can do. Yeah, um, and it's it's pretty common, and sometimes you know, um, <laughs> what's really funny is when um, I don't know if you know the story behind Fifty Shades of Grey and and those adaptations because uh, I know you're really familiar with the books, you you've read all of them. I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, uh, what, 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 what I, don't, I don't know. What I don't know what they're called. I don't know what their fans are called. Shady acts. Tom Shady. Shady. <laughs> <Top> Shady. <laughs> um, I don't know, but like the, 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 what had happened was that, uh, apparently the first movie is actually like better than the first book because, you know, the first book was, is actually is, is fan fiction. It started off as fan fiction. Right. And Twilight. when, yeah, Twilight fan fiction. And when you when you write fan fiction, you don't sit down and like write your book. You release chapters at a time, and however the audience reacts to it, you change things and like you you know you just do it chapter at a time according to like how audiences react. So naturally, the book is awful um, and doesn't make any has no coherence. It's, it's a piece of crap. But the movie, however, because it was made by actual writers and directors and filmmakers and artists, they were able to make a coherent work of art. Not a very good one, probably. Depends It depends on your taste. I don't know. Um, I don't think it's very... I mean, I think it's like an effective like kind of thriller, in a way. Like a little kind mm-hmm. of noir thriller. Very, 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 like, you know, way down the line. Um, not like it's made by De Palma or anything. But the original author... The, the movie did successful. People liked it. Even critics thought it was like not bad. Um, but the but the the author of the books hated that movie because of how many liberties they took. And she actually the studio even allowed her to like come in and do consultancy on the other films. And she also made sure that the that director and those writers never came back. And that she had like she had to have like final say on everything. And those movies are atrocious. I haven't seen them, but from, from what I understand, they are atrocious. <laughs> Speaking of De Palma, if I had if I had just so if I had Jeff Bezos money, you know what I would do? Yeah, I would I would like try to like tap like really A list directors to make adaptations of garbage source <laughs> material just to see, right? I mean, it, it's you would you would watch you would you would watch Quentin Tarantino's Divergent. You know <laughs> I would. You would. But you know what? Akira Kurosawa famously said, uh, a bad director can make a good movie out of a good script, but a gr- even a great director would not be able to make a good movie out of a bad script. Mm. So, I don't know. I, don't, I think Akira Kurosawa would, would, would probably disagree. But, <laughs> but also, I would, I would like to see it. Like, I, I've always thought, like, what if someone just gave Steven Spielberg like a like a, a camera and like what, what would he just do? Like I just want to see like I want to see you do something bare bones and you know like whatever. Um, make a skate, make a skating video. <laughs> 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 it's 
It's like here, here's a Sony Handycam with a fisheye lens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to see what Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Let's see what you. Do. We're gonna we're gonna park you in front of the local skate park. Let's see what you do. He just film his kids. Hey, wave with the camera. Think about it, though. That should be a TV show. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be fun. That'd be a great TV show. Yeah. A-list directors, like, we just hand them, like, a GoPro and make something. Yeah. I would, I, I'd watch you have a day. You know I would. You have a day to make something. <laughs> um, but I don't, I think, I think the point we're trying to arrive at is that, like, take liberty. more interesting to talk about than this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think, well, I mean, the point I, that that I think we're getting to is, is that like, it's okay to take liberties, especially if it's from the Bible. Like, if if you're like, I, I don't. I think we should just like. I don't know. I don't know. I keep saying we need to do this. Like, no, we don't. Like, let them make their stupid mistakes. I don't watch your dumb movies. Like, <laughs> probably like you know, like the Kevin Sorbo films, whatever. Like, whatever. Um, yeah. But I don't know, like. But know, as I, I will, I just as a Christian, as a Christian, and 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 somebody who's you know into art, um, it it, it always I, it does frustrate me when I see that you know like Christianity was responsible for inspiring like all the art of the Renaissance, right? I mean, yeah. some of the most beautiful paintings, some of those you know ama- some of the most rich deep literature in human history was inspired by the stories in the scriptures. Right. And this is what we're producing cinematically these days. Yeah. Well, not these days, but 1979. But, but even then, like modern day, these cloud nine, whatever, uh, Christian film companies, like this is what, this is what, this, this is what we're putting out. And it, it comes from just sort of like a, a tradition of pandering, you know, because I, I do think that, most like church going folk i think they just they just want their beliefs reaffirmed you know yeah we talked about this a while back yeah yeah and i think that's that's why the movies turn out the way they do and and who's to and who who could blame a filmmaker for for going along with that it's the biggest audience in the world (laughs) give them what they want you'll get rewarded with lots of uh lots, lots of de niro uh but at the same time i agree with you i think like I think some great cinema could be made with uh, just about everything that happens in the Bible. So, yeah, there's part of me that kind of wants to be like, all right, let's take the last few minutes of this podcast and let's let's pitch our Jesus movie. <laughs> the one we talked about yesterday? Oh, God, it'd be so cool. But, you know, I was thinking, though, when we talk about like filming the Bible, I've, I've had this idea in my head. Maybe there's something you and I could work on at some point just for fun. Yeah. Is to put together, like go through and put together a cinematic Bible. So, like, you know, what would constitute Genesis? Okay, well, Aronofsky's Noah. Yeah. That's our Genesis, right? And then, you know, the Ten Commandments is Exodus. You know, so go through and find, like, all the different film depictions of different parts of the Bible and try to assemble it and say, like, here's a cinematic Bible. It could be a really interesting, um, like, art piece because, you know, you could – it would be fun to kind of, like – like, the Ten Commandments is actually – the one by Cecil B. DeMille, which is the one I'm, I'm assuming you're thinking of with Charlton Heston. Yeah. was actually a remake of right. a silent film, which was also directed by Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, it'd be kind of fun to, like, 
present those two together, like kind of cut back and forth. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of mess with, you know, from like like like, like an art student. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, that I mean that that would be kind of cool just to kind of go through like history of film and just kind of find movies that that attempted certain stories in the Bible and stuff. Yeah, and like um, you know, you get to your four gospels, right? You got to pick four movies to be our four gospels. So like, what what are our four cinematic gospels, right? That'd be a fun conversation. Huh. Yeah, that would be. That'd be actually a fun way to get film Twitter and like weird Christian Twitter together. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We, we were talking yesterday about like our sort of ideal movie about Jesus like what would be like the most interesting film about Jesus has been done so many times and yeah, I still I, I love the idea of like a movie about Jesus where like you don't actually know if he's who he says he is right and you could tell it from other people's perspectives like from like just a commoner's perspective who's not really like on the on in any of like Jesus' inner circles or anything like that he's kind of hearing things word of mouth or he'll just like see he'll see something off in the distance or Miracles are done off camera. You only kind of hear about them through rumor and stuff. Sorry, someone's like hammering something outside my window. Um, yeah, I, and like, you know, I, I told you, like, I went, it took me to like a really weird place in my head, right? Because I'm thinking about like the 2014 Godzilla movie. One of the things I love about that movie yeah. is how a lot of what Godzilla does at the end of that movie is left completely up to, open to interpretation. Like the whole scene where Godzilla's at the bridge with the kids in the school bus, right? You can interpret it very easily that Godzilla is like protecting kids, yeah. right? But you could also just as easily see it as they just happen to be lucky, right? He doesn't care, it's indifferent. He's completely indifferent to what's happening around him. Right. Um, that idea of, of filming a big story, but from the perspective of somebody who's not privy to all the information. Yeah. Right, yeah. I, I'm all for it. And, and, and even though that, that didn't really occur to me at, at first, the, the thing that it sort of inspired my idea for that was that a year ago, a couple years ago, I watched the uh, Waco miniseries. Oh yeah, about David Koresh, and I was really kind of blown away in how they presented that story. They presented it as if David Koresh didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, except for the weird cult stuff. That's about it. <laughs> like convincing his friends to divorce their wives so that he can marry them. You know, that's in there. But yeah. like, it's it's really funny how much they take the side of the Branch Davidians. And there's no um, depiction of whether or not he abused anybody, especially kids, which is what the rumors were at the time, you know, it was circulating around the news and stuff. But like, and but what was also my favorite part, Chuck, and anyone who's followed Waco, they know the story of like how, first of all, like David Koresh and his little buddies, they, they made their money by going to bars and like playing like cover songs and stuff, right? Um, they There were times during the standoff where David Koresh would, just pl- would, would plug in his, his guitar and his band setup and they'd just start jamming. Because because the FBI were like playing like loud music, and so they yeah. they'd plug in and play their music, play music back at them, and it was like a back and forth they had. The way they presented that in this movie, it was as if like it was like a victory, 
and the FBI were like flustered, like they're playing music. Like <laughs> it was like this victorious moment where they're just like rocking out while the standoff is happening. And I'm like, this is a really weird choice. This is not <laughs> like my, this is really going against like everything I perceived that happened at Waco. Like you're making these people like, I kind of want to hang out with them. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, right. And that's, that's, and that's sort of what makes them scary. Right. It's the same thing about like Tyler Durden. Yeah. But right. it's Tyler but, Durden is people seem to forget that he's the villain in the story. Yeah, but like, but, but that's that, why he's effective. And that's and that's that's really kind of sparks something because like I think they I think they really I think the filmmakers really were taking the side of of the branch Davidians and that like the FBI. I mean, and, and I think we all kind of can you know kind of came to the conclusion what the FBI did was like really stupid and they shouldn't have done it. It was it's overkill. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, but like you know, Michael Shannon plays the the guy who was negotiating with them. Um, it, it, it's it's weirdly empathetic, but like 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 to an extreme, and this is kind of got me thinking about like, well, it's interesting because it's like, in a way, it is also kind of presenting as like, what if he's not totally crazy? Like, well, I mean, what if he he what if he if these people believe he might have been onto something? And so like, I was thinking, what if like a movie about Jesus were presented this way? You know, where he it's not like Passion of the Christ where. The cinema is so overbearing that it's like, oh, yes, this is the son of God. Mel Gibson is communicating to us directly. This is the son of God. But what if it was just very like like that movie, the um, uh, like that movie, The Apostle mm-hmm. with um, Robert um, De Niro, not, not Robert De Niro, no, no, Robert right, Duvall. Yeah. Duvall. Yeah. Which is very which is a very grounded film. They talk a lot of a lot of like they talk heavily about spiritual things, but it's very grounded. You don't really see anything spiritual, but they talk a lot about it. So it's like, what if you just had this a, a film about Jesus, but there it was just like a very down to earth film, very grounded film, and it's right. all just through dialogue and communication, and not so much you know nothing, uh, no spectacle, I should say. Right. Well, of course, which would then uh, uh, land us being accused of denying the miraculous and uh, and all that oh, kind of stuff. Well, right. I guess the Catholic Church would not give us a very good rating. Um, actually, I think that, I think probably at this point, the Catholic Church probably a little more open to this stuff. I'd be more about the evangelicals. But <laughs> I um I think that I think that um I, I mean, like, yeah, like the idea of, of depicting a movie where, you know, like Jesus shows up or, um, in, you know, for the during the final week in Jerusalem and you're not really sure what he's going to do because he's got this entry into the city the same day that because as we know from history he was doing it the same day that Pilate was entering the city and so it's a rival procession and so you know this is a you know passover was when tensions were running high right you know Jews are sitting there listening to these stories about how god intervened in the past to liberate them from their oppressor so that was the point where people would certainly start thinking like maybe god's going to move me to to be the servant to rid us from the Rome, from Roman rule. So tensions are high and people are scary. I mean, that's why the, you know, I mentioned this last week. It's one of the reasons why the, the high priests, you know, work to, to hand Jesus over to the Romans because they, you know, they're, they're doing it thinking that they're doing a good and right thing for their people because they just know that any would be Messiah that pops up is going to lead to tons of bloodshed and loss of freedoms. So, you know, depict Jesus as this, you know, wild card, like, yeah. Who is this guy? Is he? Re- I mean, did he really do all these miracles? It's all hearsay. 
Yeah, because right? at the time, a normal like a normal person, like they don't know if this is like a crazy person. It would be, it would be right. like, like like I said, it would be like watching a movie about David Koresh. <laughs> right. It would be, it would, or, or be like, I mean, you know, I've had instances where I've been in, you know, in the middle of Sunday services. I've had homeless people come in and just start causing a ruckus. Yeah. Right. So she's in the temple overturning things. People are just in the temple doing their normal daily routine, and suddenly this guy starts turning animals loose and throwing, <laughs> throwing, you know, he made a whip and he starts beating people. Yeah. You know, like, let's see what that looks like as a as a person who has no idea who this guy is. Right. He's right. you know, is he unstable? Right. Like, I mean, you know, I, I think it would be a very fascinating movie to do that. Right. And it would allow allow. You would allow you, the viewer, to sort of kind of meditate on these actions and sort of see right. it from a slightly different perspective than it's just like hammered in your head. Here's this important thing that's happening right now. Yeah. And this is the thing that, you know, it's, yeah, I, yeah. I, would, be, I would be totally for it. I think it'd be cool. And, you know, it, it kind of comes from my uh, sort of learning about why horror movies are effective and then like which horror movies are. And the, the, one, the most effective ones are the ones where it's like, you're not really sure if what's happening is like a like a weird paranormal thing or if it's like a, my, my mind playing tricks on me. And also mm-hmm. when there's like very little explanation, you know, it creates right. tension. And and I think that's, that's I think, what's missing from movies uh, that are religious in nature is that tension, you know, of, of questioning, like, why? It's like, no, you just have to accept it and kind of go with the story, which is fine. It, it works. But... I think to really elevate it to something that you haven't really seen before is to kind of introduce tension. Well, right, and you want to talk about like talking about making you know a Jesus story that's an evangel that's an evangelism tool. Well, that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Is you 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 yeah you you create this scenario where you're really sitting with it and pondering it and wondering it, right? Rather than just being beaten over the head with it, right? And when and you I, finally. I mean, like, and when you finally say, meet uh, Jesus, it's Paul Giamatti, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Great. I was just thinking, I mean, that's that to me is a, what kind of what I'm looking forward to with um, Last Temptation is I just, from what I can gather from it, it seems like there's right. The whole point of that movie is to is to sort of supplement the story you likely already know. Yeah. Um, and um. You know, again, right? Like people, like, oh my God, you end with Jesus on the cross. You don't show the tomb. Because other people got really upset about it. I, I understand. Like, well, there's there's a few other things. <laughs> well, I mean, he also has like a relationship with Mary and all yeah. that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But um, guy, but like, guy drove a bus into a movie theater. But we'll talk about that like, in that episode. <laughs> yeah, but like, but like, right? But like, I can already see like Scorsese's approach to it, like the criticism is just sort of like you have the story, right? Like it ends the way it does because you know how the story goes. Like that's not, I'm not, you know, the story. So I'm offering something that's meant to sort of bring more to the story you already know, or to get you to think about, right. So again, this, it accomplishes what we're talking about here in terms of what adaptation is all about. It's adapting a story, right? It would be a different thing if the movie is like, you know, Jesus, decides that he's not going to go to the cross and then he's going to live his whole life as like a Highlander immortal assassin <laughs> or something. Right. I mean, that, that just seems, I'd watch it, which by the way, let's yeah. talk about the fact that people, people have, all right. So 
we're going to get into it, I know, with Last Temptation, right? But Last Temptation is a movie that obviously elicited some very strong reactions from people. I had a, I grew up with a kid who uh, would would even would for, whenever I was him with him and his parents, he would forbid me from looking at billboards for Universal Studios because they had distributed the Passion or the Last Temptation of Christ. That is so strange. So, so like weird. these are the kinds of reactions that, that we get from this movie that is ostensibly about you know it's, it's showing sort of like a pocket universe of what could happen when jesus you know is you know sort of what what, what he could do if he chose to do something else um the but then just a few years ago christian christian cinema made a movie where uh a time traveler goes back in time to prevent the crucifixion of Jesus, but then realizes it screws up everything. And so he now has to go kill Jesus. <laughs> That's a legitimate movie that was made by a Christian filmmaker. Oh my gosh. I need to see it. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should have watched that instead of the Jesus. <laughs> well, well, dude, there, there's no shortage. We, we should probably make this a regular, like recurring feature from time to time. I think so too. I think next or next year, year, next year, Easter week, we just pick three more Jesus movies and do it. Yeah. Right. Then we could talk about like Last Days in the Desert, which I really want to see. Right. Um, the Judas Project. The Judas Project. Um, Time Cop Jesus. <laughs> um, you know, and then we could also start talking about like what other movies that are like, like, like The Matrix is a Jesus movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. Uh-huh. You know, um, you know, because we're getting kind of creative with that, you know, like. Sure. I Jesus mean, movies that aren't actually about like movies that use the whole messianic narrative a messianic cycle i guess yeah like um you know uh, you know man of steel or justice league star wars prequels is that (laughs) sure there is no well but there's no death and i guess there is a there is a sort of death and resurrection bit with anakin but it's a dark resurrection right yeah he dies but he doesn't rise as the savior he rises the devil I mean, there's uh, a movie right there. What if Jesus is like, you know what? I'm going to just rule over you with an iron fist. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that, I mean, that was one of the temptations, right? Yeah. The, the devil says, like, you know, you could have the, you could be in control of all the world yeah. if you just bow, right? Which is basically the emperor and Anakin's whole conversation, right? Right. So, like, Revenge of the Sith, The Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> Equally Same good. movie. Same film, basically. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we're at an hour and 20. I don't think we could say anything more about this movie. <laughs> we, don't want, we don't want to go to two hours and eight minutes just to kind of match up the length so that you can like no. listen to this episode while watching the Jesus film. And it's a much more entertaining experience. Well, I think it was funny. Like, we did talk about like this movie needs a VJ. It does need a VJ, like a book Hollywood movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have any bits for that. Sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, but most but, of our listeners have no idea what Hollywood is. Yeah. What, what Hollywood? So, Ugandan Ugandan action cinema. Look it up. Was it Uganda or was it? I guess it was Uganda. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, yeah. No, look it up. Do it. Don't listen to us. <laughs> we'll just explain it poorly. Because <laughs> I actually haven't seen it. But the use of a VJ, I think, is brilliant. Um, this is what this is what this is what American cinema should be post pandemic. <laughs> Just go buck wild. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. I don't have anything more to say about this movie. I thought it was boring. I thought 
did think would not really call it cinema. Would call it ministry. Uh, people use it as ministry tool. I, I, Fine. I, I, I wouldn't even use it as ministry. No. No. You think it's just a kind of a failure all around? Just. <sighs> I think it. I, I think I think I think it failed for I think it failed in its intended purpose. Now, as it has been co-opted by the Jesus Film Project and used as evangelism tool, if, if 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 you're using it as a conversation starter for people to kind of come to faith, then I guess there's a successful thing there. But that's not what the film was set out to be. Yeah. It was set out to be a translation of the Bible for cinema, and I think it failed. Yeah, there are there's other movies of the Jesus Film Project, um, and one of them I think is a series of films that I used to own, which I think was the Gospel of John. Yeah, like, I saw that in theaters. I don't well, I don't know if it's one you saw in theaters, Chuck. That's it, it, a different one. It's like it's like a mini series, and like every time Jesus spoke, there was like the verses in the corner, the number the number of the verses in the corner. Oh, okay, this is something different. I think. And to me, I'm like, why would you? I don't understand the point of that. Like, that's this is so you can be in the so you can be in the theater and be like, okay, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just gonna. Oh yeah, they got it right. Okay, they did. Okay, <laughs> what translation are they using? And you know, I had I had a Bible teacher who said that that was his favorite Jesus, and I was like, I remember asking like, why is he your favorite Jesus? He doesn't seem like other ones like, because he smiles so much, man. I'm like, okay, all right. Okay. That's As opposed great. to all those other Jesuses. Well, I guess I guess this Jesus doesn't do a whole lot of smiling. He just does a lot of like I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's mugging. He's mugging. Let's say it. You know, you know what he's doing? Let me tell you what he's doing. He's hitting his marks and he's saying his line. <laughs> That's what he's doing. The bear. The thing is, <laughs> he's a Shakespearean actor. Yeah. Um, but I read that he uh, he was quoted as saying that this was the most disappointing film project he's ever been a part <laughs> really? of. Really? Uh, so this was more disappointing than the lesbian vampire film that he did. <laughs> and hey, you know what? I bet the movie rules. Um, all right. Okay. So I think that just about does it. Uh, join us again next week. Watch The Last Temptation of Christ, as we will be talking about that. Available uh, through Criterion. If you have a uh a hundred dollars and you want to buy a criterion movie <laughs> it's a hundred dollars no but i'm just i was just oh. saying that the, the those the criterion films are expensive because I, I bought the i bought the, because like the godzilla set i bought was like a hundred something dollars so i was like one that's that was like that's actually pretty movie. cheap i got it on a sale they were doing oh that's like, right that annual... they're half off sale yeah yeah uh actually i wonder if um if the last temptation to Christ is available on their uh, Criterion channel, the um, their streaming service, is it on HBO now or something? Uh, I don't think it is. So do we know where it's streaming? I think we have to order it, Chuck. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. Probably like I can probably rent it on Amazon Prime or something. Yeah, I'll shell I'll shell out money for it. Why not? I mean, hey, if you if you need a few bucks, dude. You know this this up that up and coming uh, that up and coming indie filmmaker Marty Marty Scorsese needs my money, right? It's all right. You know what? I haven't I haven't spent money on a movie in a year, so <laughs> that's wow. Um, that's sad. Okay, all right. So join us again next week. Thank you so much for joining us, and I want to thank Father Chuck as always. You're welcome. This one was. 
This was rough. This was this was rougher than uh, Instincts No Strings Attached. Ooh, ooh, really? Wow. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. that's oof. Okay. All right. But that being said, uh, Instincts No Strings Attached was a much more entertaining experience. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I, I think we're going to be rewarded with Last Temptation. So hopefully, I'm, I'm actually I'm excited. Right? I've, this is a movie I have I have heard about my entire life. It's a notorious film. I so I've never seen it. So I'm you know pushing the needle towards forty, um, yeah. and uh, seeing it for the first time. So cool. All right. So have a wonderful week. We'll see you again next week. Good journey. Good journey.